Hello, everyone. I am Rowan Kaiser, and you are listening to Three Moves Ahead. Today, we have an ambitious and big show on city builders and early access, so we recruited all of our friends RimWorld style for one of the biggest shows ever. First up, we have our resident shield baited and producer, freelance writer, Liana Hafer. Hello, hello. And uh, Scottish mascot and online editor, PC gamer, Fraser Brown. Hello. Then we have chief researcher of 3MA Labs and monkey wrangler, Mike Gillis. Hello. Our special guest, freelance writer and exotic European vampire, Sin Vega. <laughs> And one of the key people for starting up this episode, number one, early access and city builder, super fan, John Bolding. You're half right. (laughs) (laughs) So the uh, origin of this show was sort of uh, discussions that John and I and some other people in the 3MA Discord have regularly been having about early access being a pretty notable issue and common uh, common theme in city builders specifically. I kept noticing, hey, here's an interesting looking city builder that popped up on Epic or Steam or whatever. And I would link it in the chat. And John would reply in, eh, it's really access. It's not ready yet. And I think Going Medieval came out a couple weeks ago. And I was like, you know, this looks pretty sweet. Uh, and John said, yeah, it's not ready yet. Uh, And I was like, fuck it, man. We just have to do a show about all these games and the concept of early access that John actually claims to despise, except in cases of city builders. Uh, And, you know, get this all out in the air instead of in the Discord and uh, just, like, really have it out, early access, good or bad. You will have an answer by the end of this show. (laughs) Turn it into sweet, sweet content. Yeah. And legally binding as well, so if we come down against any access, then it must stop. <laughs> That's true. We, we have the council have, has been assembled. They're they're legally obligated to stop doing it if three MA uh, gives them the thumbs down. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So, John, would you like to talk a little bit about why you end up playing every city builder and what your feelings about how so many of them are in early access? Uh, affects the genre just a a quick little intro yeah i think city builder is one of my go-to genres because i know i can even if a city builder is trash i can get 10 hours of entertainment out of it because that's how my brain works and there's a there's so much interesting design space and so many different settings and motivations for why someone wants to make a city builder that i think it has really branched out and they also tend to have this complexity of mechanics or at least even in terms of the simplest games a a certain sort of puzzle like joy in arranging things in a way that is yours that also works right that also gets the iron to the iron plant or that gets people from the suburbs to their jobs and so that sort of i don't want to say like richness but that that innate expectation of simulation tickles my fancy and so i play them i get them i buy them i play them compulsively always forever and over the past six or seven years it's become really clear that 
this is a really complicated and difficult genre to make. And especially once you start looking at like the colony builders and the deeper simulations, if they're not one man, if they're not one man productions, if they're not single dev operations, even they're destroyers of studios like Clockwork Empires broke the Dungeons of Dreadmore developers. Gaslamp Games died for that game. Um, and they didn't and it, they didn't finish it. And it wasn't worth it. Yeah. That right? game was a mess. And so many other city builders have been like that. But then in about 2016, starting with Banished, people decided that you could sit down and make one if there were one or two people interested in making this kind of a game. And so we started to get more and more of either solo dev or small studio operations and then ramping up as the sort of uh, the RimWorld model started to succeed. When Factorio started to succeed, you saw bigger and bigger, bigger studios making this. But I think the the thing that is interesting and compelling about this genre and why it has drawn itself to early access almost as a brand i don't i can't think of a city building game that released finished from the last four years that is not anno 1800 and the reason these games draw to it is because even with a big team they take a long time to make they take a long time to get right and they take a long time to simply get from like get to a playable state can take years and then actually start adding features to the game, functional mechanics, and then balancing them. They're just not simple product projects at all. Um, the reason that City Skylines feels like it sprung whole cloth, like full on Athena from the head of Zeus is literally <laughs> Colossal Order was making transit games for years before that. And so now we have this state where you have studios and they're working on a city builder and they don't have a massive investment, so they need to sell games. And that means now early access is the go-to because they need to iterate and refine and work on those mechanics for years. And so now we have a point where we're literally doing an entire show because we have a Google document here that's just like a list of games we've played or that are going to come out soon. And I... I didn't count, but there's probably 40 games on here. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and a lot of these were like, this looks really promising. This looks like the sort of thing I like, because like you, I like clicking those roads into place, having the people go and build the things in the way that seems most efficient. Like it's it's a really satisfying concept. And when a game seems to get it right, it's just there's there's not much else like it. Uh even in the strategy sphere, like Civilization VI kind of moved in that direction, and I wish it had moved further, but uh, the only other thing is like combo-based tactics games where you line up everything and then you unleash it and it all works or it doesn't work and you figure out how to, how to do that. So there's like something really satisfying about aligning all these different systems that will click into place when you're like, all right, you know, I'm moving my base across the map here. I have to make sure that I have enough food and enough room for everybody and all that. And I just like, all right, it's go time. And you see if it works or it doesn't. And there, there isn't that kind of, uh, isn't kind of 
that satisfaction that uh, other genres really supply consistently. But the complexity of the mechanics that lead to that do make early access end up being uh, really seemingly necessary. But as, as you mentioned, I like the idea of it also being just part of the brand at this point. Um, Sin, you've also covered several of the games on this list. What What is your relationship with uh, what we've been talking about here? It's similar to you both, actually. Um, but I think one of the... You t- you've hit on one of the things, Rowan, that is definitely an obvious and big like fundamental appeal of City Builders. It's, it's the systems thing. It's creating this... Essentially a machine of some kind, balancing different needs and expanding in a way that is sustainable and um, if not necessarily efficient, but it, it's workable and often efficiency is key in it. But there's another big kind of prong of a lot of these games um, to some degree, some more than others. And I think that's in the sense of some creating something living, creating something that feels like a place that, that you have some, some kind of ownership of, not just a machine, although it's some, even something like Factorio where you're literally building a machine, it takes on a kind of personality of its own. It feels like something you know and understand in a way that someone else who's played the same game but has built a different city couldn't understand because it's got its own structure, it's got its own rules and its own kind of history and it's got its own quirks that you know about. And building something like that is part uh, satisfying because of the machine element, but it's also part creative. It's part of kind of almost a historical recreation of a city and and i'll probably talk tonight about quite a lot of my favorite ones of this game are they're the ones where your city has a feeling of having a history it feels like a thing that's grown and you can see its history in its structure so you'll start you've got your starting area that remains a, a distinct place throughout the whole game even though it's no longer relevant to the way it actually functions but i think it's those two main things really that appeal to me and i think kind of capture the genre but um, really since, I mean, you could go back to Dwarf Fortress, but I think Rimworld has been more directly influential. What we've seen recently, which I think is one reason why Early Access has such, become such a long process for many of these games, is so many of these games have also introduced survival elements, which add a whole new dimension to things and involve so much more balancing, and they bring in a whole new audience to the genre. And I think there's a conflict in what is going on with the genre at the moment, because it's kind of trying to court three different audiences at once. And I think that's part of the reason that early access is, I don't want to call it a tar pit, but it is definitely a, a process that a lot of studios spend a lot of time in and probably have to, but consequently it's it's hard for us to keep up with them as writers and critics, but it's also hard for players to know whether to jump on or when, whether they've had their fun and it's time to step off before it kind of gets too bloaty or before, or because just because they've exhausted its content. Yeah. Uh, that it's difficult for writers and critics to deal with is, uh, I feel like one of the fundamental difficulties for many of us, but it's hard to say like for fans of the genre or whatever, like, how much that matters to them. Because ever since early access started officially being a thing, we have had the issue of, do we cover this game when it goes into early access, which is when people are most interested in it. Mm. When it pops up on that store page for the first Mm -hmm. time, that's when games get the most interest according to every metric that we have. 
versus when it gets released. And some of these games that are listed here as having been released, I had no idea they'd actually mm. made it to 1.0. Uh, I just did not hear much of anything about them uh, because, like, that's part of the issue. So when do I play it? Mm. When do I go into this? And when do I pitch an article on it that might make other people play it? Um like, when there were only, like, three or four of them, I knew with RimWorld, uh, like, I had come across that a couple of years earlier, and when it hit Steam, I was like, this is going to be a big deal, I'm going to pitch my articles. Um, but, like, when there's 40 of them, that's not really an easy thing to do. Uh, Mike, you are not somebody who's in media, though you kind of are now. Uh, as someone who is specifically a fan of the genre and made a list... Uh, you were the, the instigator of this list of however many uh, games. Uh, how do you feel about getting into early access and what it does for the genre? Well, I think it's it's unavoidably necessary for the kind of scope of these games that we're talking about, right? Like once you once you live in a world where early access is an option um, and you have this genre that invites developers to look at it like i can start here but i can go in so many directions over time um it, it seems like it's it's just you're not going to be really able to to rationally resist the the sort of siren song of of being in early access and from my perspective you know i don't have to worry about um coverage the same way that that all of you do and um so i'm spoiled in that way where i'm just actually kind of excited that all of these games exist and they get to and i'm you know it's kind of the the usual story about uh, early access from my perspective you know i don't think most of these things would exist without early access there's things you, you know uh there the approaches to city builders as a genre have gotten weirder and weirder over time um we have one on on the list that's uh unreleased but um will be coming out in the near future where it's a city builder where just you just happen to be beavers <laughs> and <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, you know the the kinds of spins on the core ideas of the genre i think are definitely helped by early access on the same uh on the same topic though um i i know from my a very brief dalliance with the game industry uh, many years ago and uh and also uh, my day job involves software development and uh scope creep is real right um and and the fact that this is um this is the kind of thing where you can look at the top of the iceberg and think like, well, sure. Yeah. I could make a city builder. Like it's fine. You just put some buildings down here and you come up with a couple of basic mechanics and you're probably great. Um, but then you start getting into that endless spiral of, well, this works. So let's add another thing. And, um, because there are so many directions you can go out of city builders and into some of the nearby genres like rts or like survival or like factorios um it if you are maybe one or two devs um and you're not really part of some sort of 
uh, larger organizational structure that's focusing you on, you know, we have to ship something. So your corporate overlords are telling you to keep your scope tight or whatever. Um, it must be extremely seductive to just look at another feature and think like, well, yeah, like it works now, but wouldn't it be cool if it had this new wild amount of survival features? So yeah, uh, and, and, I could see how that works. What if we <laughs> added in. water? Yeah. What if we like, what if, what if <laughs> it had dynamic water? What if it had physics <laughs> that it's, it's a genre that by its very nature, because it is a simulation of something, at least in the most abstract sense, invites itself to not just the idea of scope creep, but like just inherently having a massive scope, right? People get, there's division in the city builder community between the like agent based traffic models, like what city skylines uses and the sort of sim city for average traffic per hour models where it's not simulating individual people getting in their cars and driving it's just like yeah this is about how many cars would need to go down this big road and so this is how it's going to affect the the local buildings those kinds of decisions get made and then unmade and as the technology improves and the standard goes up right i think people expect agent-based games now they expect a little person to manually carry wood from one location to another they don't want the wood to magically appear in a stockpile somewhere and then magically travel to a construction site. Um, they want to build a Soviet era flatbed truck and manually assign it a route from the lumber mill to the construction sites. You're trying to who's they? Yeah. You're trying to, <laughs> who's yeah, who's to, they here? To yeah. talk about workers and resources, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Start to be uh, so to find. Uh, the worst of the bunch by making you teleport things to storage yards like you had to find it and quicken it you had a little droids running around but they were pretty slow so normally you'd get bored but it got to the point where you're also like you're mostly just a garbage collector you're picking up trash day in day out putting it in your recycling it was awful um and like the original startopia had this as well but the new one space-based startopia it just felt like my job was not a space station administrator or a builder. It was a rubbish man. And I was just picking everything up, putting it in the recycle and making a little bit of money. I didn't be like, oh, yeah, I had a good day at work. And occasionally the litter was a bomb. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're probably right. And I think in a couple of ways, you've all touched on the irony of making a city builder is that you've, let's say you've made some kind of framework and you've got part way through the process but then you think oh i know i finally want to add that feature or i've got a new idea for a feature but then you've got this existing base that you've got to go back and rebuild it's like that's literally what happens in actual cities that's why so many cities just have this ancient sewer system or an ancient really old uh transport system or any number of systems or even just roads and you think how do we modernize the city without tearing the city apart I think, well how do i modernize or add a feature to my game without essentially starting all over again and I, I mean, I don't really have a point here other than that. It's it's accidentally really on point for the early access city builder to fall into that kind of trap. But um, I think, yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll throw it back to Rowan, I think, because you're probably going to be better at prodding than me. But I think a lot of it as well overlaps with audience expectations and 
interacting and feeding back between the dev and the early access audience. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's really a key point because when we think about some of the most successful of these early access games, the ones that have been sitting in early access for like a sh- for a shocking amount of time, and Dwarf Fortress is like the archetypical yeah. game. It, mm-hmm. it could be finished 300 times, but it has developed such a massive and supportive community that there's no reason to stop developing it. It's also yeah. quite not almost unique, not probably not unique, but it's very unusual in that it's also it, until recently the dev has not asked for has not courted money at all. Like donations are have been an option for a long time, but it's totally free in its entirety. There's no need to ever pay a penny, and you can play any version of it forever. And as far as we can tell, that'll probably always be the case. I think the reason the dev did have a uh, I think a patron a year or two back was because they were forced to because of health issues and or health. Uh, expenses but the reason they added a paypal donation button to the game page in i think 07 or 08 is because people were like harassing mm-hmm. him via email to <laughs> to let them give him money so that he could spend more time on the game because they wanted it to be better right <laughs> um and yeah it was health issues that that pushed them into the stability of of a publisher now right working mm-hmm. with kid fox but it, i will and s- now we're getting graphics yes yeah excited. i will say like I, my big the thing I always used to say about Dwarf Fortress is it's brilliant, but I wish they would make it playable for people. And uh, the UI was always that. <laughs> and I, I get there are people who say that the UI is, is you know, you have to have a bad UI. I don't think that's entirely true, but I've always thought, yeah, the, the UI has always been the big barrier. Even to me, I love it, but like after so many hours, I just can't take it anymore. And it's horrible that, you know, it may have been health issues that forced Dev to do that. But I suppose on the upside... If it brings new audience into the game and more money to the dev, then that's that's a win for everyone. But um, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent there. But the Wolf Watchers is that's what sh- the podcast is for. <laughs> it's not that structured. Just because just because Royden's asking questions, okay. we could go off a tangent. Well, enjoy yourself. Good. Okay. Well, <laughs> you might want to get a cup of tea then. No. Um, <laughs> Dwarf Watchers is an interesting one for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's innately unique. It's this absurd project that. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a very high chance you're already somewhat familiar with it. But it also predates early access as a concept, right, right. and it's uh, the developer has not, um, for most of its history, has not sold it. Which and it's, it's both enormously influential, and yet it has very few direct successes that have taken off other than other than RimWorld. It definitely feels like RimWorld is the one that opened the floodgates for the most of the current big bouts of third order games because. Oh, absolutely. And primarily that well, does come down... I mean, there's a lot of reasons. It certainly innovates, but a lot of it does come down to it's simply more accessible. I think well, a lot of developers are... also don't want to spend like 20 years working on one game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, honestly. They're... The, the Door Fortress do. It's a particular kind of mania that... I love that as well, that it inspires the same kind of um, mania in its in its players. If you've ever spent time on the forums there, the fans have been just wonderful... You just suggest something in there and they'll immediately come up with these mad engineering schemes. Like I've seen projects where somebody tried to build an in-game clock in Dwarf Fortress that measured time based on the constant falling speed of kittens. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So So the, uh, one of the things that's come up here is kind of the feedback and differences between games and, um, one of the things was I was clicking around playing a few of these before this 
episode that I noticed and then uh, was talking with Sin a bit about was that uh, early access also seems to push people to kind of make games in the way that their fans expect, which tends to be like other games. So I started up going medieval, and my first instinct is, oh, hey, this is historical RimWorld. And as far as I know, not made by a developer who wishes harm on some of my friends. So that seemed really neat. Uh, But also, like... There's also potential for completely different types of city builders. I started up in zone and it was like, ah, post-apocalyptic vanished. Yeah. I, yep. This seems fairly clear to me. And like, that's cool. I love both RimWorld and Banished. It's uncannily but- like, uh, what is it, surviving the aftermath as well. Uh, especially like, I guess there's not that many post-apocalyptic aesthetics going around, but it was bizarre when I first saw the trailer for it. And I'm like, is this just surviving the well, aftermath? In zone, well, that's also the aftermath. The, there's two more and I can't always remember them off the top of my head because they're all the same game. And it is remarkable to me. <laughs> but the, that's also based off the fallout aesthetic. Like let's, right, let's be right. real people. People played fallout four and said, Hey, I like building these things, but it kind of also sucks. <laughs> so what if there was a game that was just about building these things? And like this, this makes total sense. Fallout is one of the most influential and dominant series across RPGs and increasingly strategy games. Apparently, one thing I will say um, in um, in Enzo's favor, I played it a bit. I think last year uh, he hadn't finished at that point. Um, I did enjoy it, but I, I don't have many thoughts on it. But one thing I, that did strike me about it is that it's a post-apocalyptic game, yeah, but it didn't feel miserable to me. Like it's, it can be miserable. Like if things are going wrong and everyone dies, obviously that's miserable, but. The mood, the, the mood in general is very very much on rebuilding, and that's actually surprisingly unusual in a post-apocalyptic game. Most of them are very much like Stalker or Fallout, where it's like, this world is miserable and it's just going to continue being miserable. But in M-Zone, I think part of the appeal of that is that, yeah, it's miserable to start with, but you're going to make it better, you're going to make it livable, you're going to build this little pace that's a beacon for people to survive in. And I'm because of that, I'm actually surprised that there aren't more games, more building games in that setting. Surviving the aftermath is also just like that. Yeah. So you're sorry. Fair enough. <laughs> As is there, the last haven. There's also some like weird indie pseudo post-apocalyptic or city building deconstruction style games. There's one that just got announced that was like an ecological city builder. Like a, you're building an ecology in a wasteland again. Yeah. Terra Nil, uh, which is a super fascinating oh, concept. Yeah, you are that- sending down probes from like orbit which is the only place people can live anymore and you are then using these automated buildings and stuff to restore the environment to nature bring back the animals get the biomes up and running get the water flowing again depoison the land and then fascinatingly i think the the coolest part of it is that at the end your job is to then disassemble everything you've made and send the manufactured crap back into orbit so as to not further ruin the land. Terranil is lovely, but I'm. if I had to choose, I would say it's more of a puzzle game than a builder. But, I mean, that doesn't rule it out. But, that yeah, that is I'm a really interesting if... dynamic, like you said. And especially because yeah. you don't go on to then just say, oh, and now we're going to start mining and farming again. It's like you said, it's you're restoring it for its own sake. It's good. Well, this this is sort of getting into what I was talking about, which is like, there is this weird creativity that's going on 
all around, but also there are these games that seem to be just slotting into, I know exactly what this yeah. is. And Sin, you were talking about this uh, in the DMs, but like how how these games were being pushed to be the same as other games. Yeah, I, 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 damningly, I can't think of a specific example. And I feel like it'd be a bit mean-spirited for me to actually pick, single out a game for it, but it's a problem, um, not necessarily a problem, it's a a potential pitfall for early access games in particular. and But I think building, building games more so because they're so dependent on having that long-term... People play it for long-term and get invested in it and feeding back to the developer and supporting them and spreading the word. But there is the dynamic where somebody makes a game that is interesting and unique or strange in some way, and they do it in early access, and they get a bit of feedback that says, this is good, but I'd like it more if you did X and Y. There are there are, there are devs who've done wonderfully in you know making a game far better through that process, like the Tracy brothers who did Star Traders Frontiers. They the things they've added have been fantastic, and a good probably about a good half of it came from user feedback. But there's also a tendency for really novel and ambitious games to become more formulaic over time as fans start asking for the same features they've seen in similar games, and sometimes to the extent that you end up with what is not entirely far off just being a clone of something that already exists which is frustrating and it come i mean i imagine if the game sells well then devs are happy with it and the players like it and well it doesn't really matter if i have a problem with it or not but i worry that when it comes to devs making the games they want to make the the sheer financial pressures delivered through their fans essentially can kind of shear the edges off the games like something like dwarf fortress like if Toadie won the um the main dev behind it if he'd had to make that his living um when he started out there's i feel like there's very little chance that he could have gone off in this mad totally independent um water style game that he's done and it might make more playable game as a result but i think it'd also be far less interesting and i'm all about the interesting games and i think increasingly given the number of these games out there it is the odd ones, the unusual ones that stand out more than the ones that are really good, but why don't I just play RimWorld? Yeah, I, think yeah, I would have agreed, but I've spent the last like two nights playing the shit out of Going Medieval, yeah. and I fucking love it. <laughs> it is um, very nice. And it's basically just like nicer looking medieval RimWorld. At this point, well, it, it, you know, there, it has there's a not... axis. It's very, yeah, very cheap. Let's not undersell the value of a yeah, I mean, it's, you can see the roofs of your houses <laughs> it's it's like a revolution no i i, I it, that is actually a big like part of why i like it is because room world just looks like shit um i really i love room world but it's like i do not like that art style uh at all yeah there's something and just having quite a few games yeah it, it looks like prison architect basically yes. um and that you know that's got bad vibes uh but yeah, so like I'm all for clones because there's a whole like it's it's the circle of life. <laughs> uh, something becomes popular like RimWorld. Loads of people are like, oh shit, there there's there some great ideas in this game. I'm gonna make a game just like that, but it's like you know 1300s. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and we get a bunch of them, and people love them, but then they start getting sick of them, and those clones stop getting made. I mean, all of like so many of my favorite games throughout the history of PC gaming have basically just been clones. Uh, and like through these clones, we do get little advances and sometimes quite significant leaps as well. 
but yeah, then it gets tiring. But then people stop buying them mostly, and the clones kind of stop. And then ten years later, we're like, what happened to all those games? And people start making them again. Razor, I pretty. In early access, and then everyone says, "Well, why didn't you finish this game? It's been in that early access for four years." Well, because people stopped buying it because it's been in early access for four years. <laughs> Fraser, we're still playing Doom clones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the whole like '90s uh, first-person shooter comeback thing is hilarious to me. Um, I adore it. Uh, yeah, and we're getting, and we've got like um, thief clones coming up with what's it yeah. gloomwood it's it's unbelievable it's an unbelievably great time for very old people <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the unique games that uh you all have been enjoying within this genre we could talk about some of the the clonier ones a bit but uh since you specifically mentioned that you were interested in the ones that were not quite so uh file had their edginess and interestingness to, filed off to um, clarify i don't think like i'm, I'm not i think i i'm not as um i'm sounding like a bit of a pretentious snob like i play loads and loads of games that are just very derivative and they absolutely have value like and while there's that quote from i think alpha century where a researcher says something like um paraphrasing there are two kinds of progress there is the huge revolutionary leap forward but there's the more common incremental daily slow change that over time has just as much impact and i think that's true in game design and yeah absolutely games that are not massively innovative but are just good and they build on what comes before them very great some of my favorite games but the ones that i really really fall for tend to be the ones that are doing something odd or interesting even if it's not necessarily good design so, like, uh, probably the one that comes first in mind is Ostrid, which is, if I describe it, on the face of it, it's very similar to every other kind of village builder, but it's set in uh, 18th century Ukraine, and basically you build a little village, basically you build a little village, which could grow into a town, and but it's it's got a really, really thoroughly simulated building system. So if you you start out with a few people in their little tents on a riverside or what have you, and you tell them you know, here's a plot, build a house there. Well, they will, you will see the builders will, will walk over to a little hut where the storage is. So there's, there's, they keep the storage and they'll pick up some clay and they'll walk over and they'll put it in a, uh, what's the word, um, wheelbarrow and they'll wheel it over to the house and they'll, they'll stack it up by the house and then some other builders will come along and you'll see them place the building plank by plank and beam by beam and then put the walls up and put thatch on the roof and you just get to watch the whole thing from scratch and if you pause construction partway through and you can then demolish it they will begin the process in reverse they'll take the nails out they'll take the roof off they'll disassemble the clay structure and you'll get some with the clay in the wood back and you can then see somebody carry that wood over to the charcoal pile and half the game is watching it happen basically and so, so this one stands out for like aesthetic detail yeah, it's it's the, the level of simulation in the building and the the tone that that engenders. It's not just not just that it's detailed, but that it does one of the primary things that I'm looking for in a building game, which is I can send out set out a load of instructions and I can keep on building and you know managing this and that, or I can just watch it and I can just here's put down some orders and some plots and change some sliders and some settings and instructions and. And then I can just sit back and watch everything happen and enjoy the 
the ambiance, watch my people walking around and getting food and chilling on the river. And it feels alive um, in a way that a lot of city builders, I mean, they don't have to do it. And they often, a lot of city builders are, are scaled up and it's more about the building for building's sake. But this is more about building for the sake of providing for a little society. And not even in a survival sense, although obviously everyone needs to eat, but it's in the sense that, well, this is, this is life. It's a life sim as much as it is a building game. Yeah, and that sounds that, lovely, but within five minutes, I'd be screaming, "Build the bloody house!" <laughs> yeah, but when it's 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 got that thing where when it's work, it's a bit like the classic settlers games, like the million year old ones, or in a way, a bit like Factorio. In that, yeah, when things go wrong, everything will grind a hole, and you'll be like, "Why aren't you just just get the fish? Just get the fish. They're in the river. Get the fish. <laughs> Stop building a heart. Get the fish." Um, but. I mean, that's one of the big upsides of RimWorld is, yeah, it was mostly managerial, but you could also override and just grab people and say, no, you, go and shut, shut that door, idiot. Um, <laughs> but the upside is that when things are going well, there's a sense of flow that's really satisfying. And it goes back to that thing that you mentioned at the beginning, Rowan, of it, building a city is partly like a, building a structure that is efficient and has all these interconnecting parts. And Ostrov does that, but the parts feel more like well, the, pe- the parts are the people. They're the people carrying the goods and, uh, you know, farming the, the fields and baking the... I was going to say baking the nails then. You say baking the nails. You, you bake nails probably. I don't know. <laughs> you can bake nails. I believe, yeah. sure, I I believe can, that's working. I can bake nails, nails right out of stone or something. Sure. I believe I bake in a kiln. nails if you know what I mean. Listen, if Ukrainians in the 1800s, that's <laughs> right, oh, 1700s, if they lived off baked nails, then, you know, more, more power to them. I, I believe baking nails is a process that you research at workers and resources. <laughs> oh yeah. Hell yeah, it is. Um, I mean, that, you can make... it's funny to hear you say that because those are the same things I love about workers and resources is uh-huh. that it's a city building game. You build things in the game. They are built stage by stage. You pour concrete, you dig a foundation, right? The, the interesting element that's been added to the genre by these this current generation this current crop of games is maybe buildings shouldn't just pop out of the ground and that's that that crossover with the colony building and management games like dwarf fortress where they were like yeah if you want to build a wall you're gonna need some wood chief also yeah workers and resources and ostrich are like uh siblings to me they're very very much similar just like you said but um or just as you suggested anyway um and not just because they both take place in the fictional Ukraine. No, no. But that's the thing. They do have actually different vibes despite that. Obviously, they're both Eastern European, but they've got one's more pastoral, one's very much brutalist um, right. efficiency. Well, not necessarily efficiency, but um, okay. industry. But um, the other thing that defines that make that I love about both of them is that they're not based on a grid system. You've got full, full um, rotation of every building and roads. And in Austria, actually, um, paths are created dynamically by villagers walking across the grass more and more and both of those things means that you get beautifully organic cities and i've seen i will even bite my tongue or my fingers when i'm reading a forum uh, like a workers resources forum and someone's posting about how to build the most efficient city and it's always a grid i think no 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 no. don't build look, if you want to build in a if you want to live in a grid play in excel don't play in austria don't play in a city you can just, <laughs> grids are boring that's not how a city should be it should grow and twist I- and be Strange, you know. I mean, a Soviet city should be pretty grid-like, right? <laughs> nice and efficient and orderly. It should be no, 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 no grid-like is Western decadence. It should be 
orderly, <laughs> orderly, but in its own strange, um, slightly offbeat definition I, of order. I remember back in the the day, the impressions games, people would talk about how the most efficient way to build in those was actually a single road spiral. <laughs> um, John, do you have a non Eastern European simulation city builder that jumps out to you as being especially unique? No, okay. I only care about, I only have a heart for one thing, and it's um, the TUZ638, which is a beautiful, beautiful four-wheel drive Jeep that you can use in a variety of situations. Um, so uh, a game that really jumped out at me recently in the past, I say recently, but I'm pretty sure this was in 2018, um, is Cliff Empire, which is, I think, a great example of a game that hit early access, used the early access feedback, and didn't feature creep it didn't scope creep the developer knew exactly what they wanted to do with it and sort of start to finish they took feedback into account but they had a vision and that early access period allowed them to fund and execute on that vision rather than sort of bloat into infinity with new ideas um and if you're not familiar cliff empire is a game where the entire world is uninhabitable except for um a few little plateaus that are up above the toxic atmosphere down below and so what you do is you have to build you're coming down from space on a big space station and you have to build on those two little these these two or three little plateaus and that's all the space you have and it is uncompromising in that like it's a game about not giving you enough space to do everything you want and i found that as a conceit to be fascinating and then the game itself it's years old now, so I feel like I can I can spoil a little bit of it. It has a narrative arc to it, and it has a it has a definitive start and finish, which is unique and interesting for the genre where you live on the space station that can produce the things that people live there need, right? You go down to the Earth, you start building stuff, and you're sending it back to space, and then eventually the game zooms out and it's like, hey, um, we're actually running out of resources on the space station. And then now you have to manage that space station too. And there's there are layers even beyond that. Um, I thought Cliff Empire was a fascinating game. So this is the 100, the game. I don't know what that is. All right. And I never will. I'm the only one who watches teen teen science fiction. I, I see read, how it is. I've read the oh, no, I know what you mean. All right. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic stuff with attractive teens. Yeah. I've read the 100. It's... Actually, is a similar conceit, but they're not prisoners. It's more like voluntary um, resettlement. But um, well, that sounds even worse, doesn't it? Jesus! <laughs> Didn't we do a show on Cliff Empires, or did we just talk about? Talk we just about talked it about it a lot. Okay. Cliff Empire has a good, actually like not just like that dynamic. I didn't actually know about it. I'd only played it for a few hours uh, when it went into early access. It does have a unique setting, and it's also, I mean, it shouldn't matter, but I think it does quite a bit for building game. It is a gorgeous game. Um, the aesthetic is incredibly unusual. It's visually extremely stark. Like, it's the world is frozen and snowy, and you're, because you're so far above the earth, everything you are building in is in focus, but you've got this, this um, what's the word, this blurring effect in the distance, and... The, the light is so is blindingly white and the dark is very dark so you get this really strong contrast and it's, yeah it's a very very pretty game um and i really should go back to it it's totally worth it and it, i don't think it's even a very expensive game which is sort of a great sell on it honestly where i can look at it and be like yeah i can comfortably recommend that to a huge variety of people i'm i'm looking i'm trying to see when i 
last opened it and it's gotta have been quite a while now it's 12 bucks on steam and that's without any sales and presumably there will be a summer sale very soon that ain't bad but the, the cool aspect of that game is that you learn it has you do different sort of gimmicky things that are more interesting than the sort of impression city builder like build a wonder yeah to win type stuff where it's like it would be awesome if we could get geothermal power we need you to figure out how to build down the side of your cliffs to get to the floor below to build this stuff right we need infrastructure for automated drones yeah. oh hey that's we found a, this new area for you to build that sense of purpose like tangible purpose beyond just more points is is always always um appealing to me that, yeah and i think there's a large group of people who are alienated by city builders simply because of the self-directed nature of yeah. them right you have to figure out for yourself what to do and how to make it interesting and give it a cool goal mm. So that's why RimWorld, partly of why RimWorld had its ending where you can go and find like a crashed spaceship and take off into space, which I don't know about the rest of you. I've never even attempted to do that. I don't, I'm not interested at all. Yeah, I, I did it once and it just started a new colony with the people that I brought, which was... They immediately crashed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, not immediately, but you go into like cryo sleep. So it says like 3000 years later, you've crashed again. And they they built a spaceship, but they forgot that it's been like four generations since they knew how to pilot spaceships. Or, or you know, it's just a just a game conceit that it's like, yeah, yeah you like these people, let's try it again. Which I I don't know. It's I didn't continue with it. If I if I knew what I was doing with it and went on to it, then uh, like that could be a cool thing. But I feel like you would want more of like a generational idea with RimWorld, you know, having children and having uh, more of a history to the people than just like their relationships, but also their bodies, which maybe they've added. I don't remember significant aging in RimWorld or just it's so narrowly focused that you don't actually get that that much. No, um, the time scale is such a hard thing to get right in City Builders. Yeah. It's it's a mess most of the time. So uh, one of the, the sort of unique games that you reminded me of with Cliff Empire that I wanted to give a shout out to, and it's an older game that we have done a show on, is Oxygen Not Included, which uh, I feel like its main unique selling point, besides being like having the, the sort of goofy 2D art style, um, but its main unique selling point was that its its difficulty was focused on science and getting temperature right and getting oxygen right and getting uh like figuring out how to manage the gases in your colony is not something that I have seen a ton of in other games um the their kind of management aspects tend to lean towards food and economics and space and uh those are to some degree present in oxygen not included but uh i like just that how scientific it is about what it did uh but also speaking of the early access thing and if you go back and listen to the the show that we did on it i'm not sure if we did two shows on it but we definitely did like a capstone show when it got official release there was a major issue that I personally had where character progression in that game got completely switched right before full release. And it went from a way that I really enjoyed developing my little, uh, God, I forget what they're called. The little clones. Uh, dupes. Yeah, the dupes. Uh, 
I really enjoyed that going into this is boring and annoying micromanagement in a way that was like, why are you early access? Why did you, why did you, why did you accept fan feedback about something that makes it more convenient in some ways, but actually a worse game overall? Um, and that's, that's just a, a thing that early access can bring is that maybe sometimes they will make a choice that kind of ruins the game for you. Yeah. And, and also as updates roll out for some of these games, games like oxygen, not included over its lifetime, that's been so many very different feeling games. Yeah. And part of the appeal, I think for some people is people want to buy a game and they want to be able to go back to it over and over, over time if they like it. And so they want it to have that long tail where like you buy oxygen not included and you play a hundred hours of it or whatever. You want to be able to go back to it a year later and have it have reinvented itself. Mm. Right. But, but there, there's no way some of that has been really harmful for strong design vision. But it's very powerful iterative design. The flip yeah. side of that is there's there's not often a way to tell as a prospective player if it's going to do the opposite if it's okay do i want to play this now and burn myself out on it and then in two years when it's finished i'll have lost interest because i'll feel like i've played it already but yeah then you do get the other side think well something like rimworld which had kind of quite big updates every i think every 18 months or two years or so or dwarf orchard which is closer to every 10 years that is like a fresh game every time Yeah, well, it was it was it felt like a fresh game every time, but also I think there was something about the the focus of what was being added to Rimworld where it's a great example of something that was actually very tightly controlled and the individual features that got added to it felt much more um like they were being plugged into a model mm. that wasn't actually changing that much underneath your feet. You can see. And I think, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, you can actually see Going Medieval feels like it's doing a similar thing where you can see the foundations of stuff that where features could slot in in future, which is, yeah, very much in the real world model. Yeah, I think it, it takes uh, a really unique kind of... Um, self-assurance or like creative control um over over what you think actually your game is going to be over the long run like when i hear people talking about oxygen not included i didn't play it when it was very early access so i I didn't have that experience of it changing but um but that feeling of of that shifting underneath you kind of makes it seem like why you know is that a symptom of of that creative vision not really being clear from the beginning. And I, I think it's interesting to talk about Rimworld and Dwarf Fortress, even though we should be talking about all these other fantastic examples of things, but they're really good examples of like these two poles of what you can do with, with this, this like single-minded creative focus, right? Like there's lots of, of reasons to, to criticize the developer of, of Rimworld, but one thing that he did do was take basically the Dwarf Fortress formula and just subject it to the most like brutal chopping to just get down to the core of what he could actually get out in front of people and then glue a few more things on. And then on the other end, you've got uh, Dwarf Fortress, which is 
you know, the scope is simulate the entire universe, basically, <laughs> uh, which is the other way of sort of having this like strong creative vision and just eventually maybe you'll get there. Maybe you'll die first. I don't well, know. If you want to build a watch, you got to smell bronze. <laughs> if you want to smell bronze, you're going to have to invent metalworking. That's just facts. Yeah. Fraser, you have somewhat of a different perspective now that you're a big fancy editor. Um, are there any games that have seemed to jump out beyond the dreck of uh, just piles and piles of new early access announcements that have made you say, hey, we should definitely focus on focus some coverage on this? Uh, my relationship with early access is pretty uh contentious your relationship um, with just, everything is pretty contentious that's that is very very fair <laughs> Fraser um, has a very good relationship with max yes other than that's true with his paintbrushes and his little plastic soldiers my little plastic soldiers are very dear to me yeah in a room surrounded by thousands of them all, all facing the camera I actually have a sarcophagus uh, that is filled with them. That's not even a joke. I basically do have like a coffin in my living room that is filled with Warhammer. Uh, I'm a cool guy. Uh, but yeah, you, are, you, picked, you picked the best faction, so obviously. Right. God, there's a bit in Malcolm in the Middle where Dewey actually does that. He's got a little army of little little characters that are filling up the house. And then, it, then his dad comes in and tells him to stop, but he realizes he's surrounded. It's ridiculous. That's why I put them all in my coffin. Uh, but yeah, early access games. Uh, yeah, I have a bit of a, a, a tough relationship with them just because I, I think we all must do by now. Like early access has been around for a decade and I think it can be exhausting to, to see a game pop up on Steam. It's out. You can play it. Oh, it's going to take two years. Uh, and like I rarely play early access games now unless it's for work basically. Whereas I used to get really excited. It was, you know, this early glimpse of something I was already excited about. Of course, I'm going to play the shit out of it. But now, unless I'm getting an article out of it, it's really unlikely I'm going to give it very much time. That said, I am very much into going medieval at the moment. And there have been a few other ones that have jumped out as things that I've maybe played for an article, but put it in the back of my mind, I will definitely play this when this comes out. Although I'm not sure if I'll actually notice when it does, because you've really got to pay attention to more than just like like the new releases these days, because early access games do not get filed in the same way in Steam and other places. So you, I've, I really just have to pay a lot of attention to the press releases in my inbox, but I've tried to avoid doing that as much as I can. <laughs> uh, but yeah... One that really did stand out was uh, Industries of Titan, which I did write about. Um, I part of it is, is the aesthetic. You're not just going on to into like another world, but a world that's already been colonized and it was a failure, and now you're just surrounded by these monolithic mega structures that, like, basically you're stuck in a necropolis and you're building within the ruins of this dead society these giant gaudy neon towers pumping yeah. pollution into the sky and just doing the same fucked up shit again and for some reason i find that really cathartic and reassuring <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also it's got some it's got some really interesting ideas like so 
it has combined my love of the the sort of macro uh, building your city with the fiddly business management and placing little tables and chairs and things like that that you get in like Two Point Hospital and, and stuff like that. Uh, the the sort of more zoomed in uh, management games. You get both with Titans of Industry. You get to create this large cyberpunk city on a on a dead alien world and also you get to go inside these buildings and make them look well not nice because everything kind of looks really like awful uh it, it purposely uh but you get to d- design it yourself and, and space is such a sort of premium in these buildings even though they're massive uh that you it becomes a puzzle trying to fit everything together there are a lot of different layers to it, literal layers. Uh, and it, yeah, it it's stuck in my mind. It's one that I do 100% intend to go back to, even though I know I probably won't. <laughs> uh, when, when did you That's how I feel about it too, it? right? Yeah. Uh, right Last after release, year? I think. You can't ask me about dates. I, I, okay, um, okay. I ask but, because we were all pretty excited about this. I was posting links for like three years because they announced it way earlier than they actually released it. Um, and then when it came out on Epic, it was pretty not ready. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very like it's the game. So uh, the the new stuff basically ends like very quickly after. Few, I think I played for like three hours and I pretty much saw everything. So yeah, so I, you saw you played it. That. So you have you played it at release or you have played it since then? No, at release April seventeenth, twenty twenty, according to the all right, article. All right, all right. So, uh, so we're all roughly in the same place, unless someone has gone back recently. No, no I haven't gone back to it, and I, I, I want to say I haven't gone back to it because of the state it released into early access in. Right. Yeah. It felt like a proof of concept. Yeah. It felt like it didn't feel like an alpha because it mostly functioned, though it did have some. You know what, fuck it. It felt like a proof-of-concept alpha. It did not feel like a video game that someone should pay any money for at all. And that is one of the most brutal things about early access is that people, developers, go into this and release games that, sure, they might need money, and I feel bad for them, and I understand that. Totally get it. But as a critic, I have to look at this and say, this isn't even a functional game yet. It might work. It's a slice. I, I can it's a slice. Like you, like you see all of the stuff that they're going to be expanding. Like you get what the game is. Right. But there's just not much to play. It's a, it's the foundations or a slice. And it's like, I guess it's almost like an advert. It's like, here's what you're getting an idea of what the game's going to be in like a year or two. And that's yeah. what, that's the point of early access. So I don't really like playing games like that anymore. Here's the difference. With Industries of Titan, it didn't have this massive aspect of the game, which is design and build your own spaceship things and use them to fight. Yeah, the space combat was missing. You just had like the, the one big spaceship come and shoot your buildings and you built turrets. It's kind of like a, a not very engaging turret defense game. You've both like a couple of things you've all you better have done. Have I've been biting my lip because I try not to interrupt. You've both touched on something that I think links the last few things we've talked about, which is Steam reviews during early access. Um, because developers of Industries Titan, I think, um, I think where what are they called? Abrace Yourself Games. They are also working on Phantom Brigade, and I think they released both through Epic. Um, they're not yet on Steam, and I don't know if they'll be ready 
to go to like a live full release, even when they do go to Steam. But um, and I wonder. I mean, I, I, I'm speculating too much on their motives, but I feel like if I was going to make a game, I would be incredibly wary of doing it on Steam through early access, simply because I've seen so many games that have got a lot like mixed reviews or a lot of people saying, oh, this isn't ready yet, thumbs down. But it's in early access. Yeah. And it's fine. It's absolutely valid to say that this isn't ready yet bright later. But the way Steam works is if you've got a thumbs down on your game, your game is not going to get in the the recommended in the into the algorithm as at higher it's not going to get to the top of the algorithm pile essentially and it's not going to get seen and you can end up sinking your game because the expectation of your players doesn't necessarily align with your understanding of how early access works because there's like a a cultural issue in games where not everybody agrees on what early access is for which leads to situations where not everyone is measuring early access games on the same merits, which isn't necessarily a problem. But when your game is essentially in a market where popularity determines whether or not you can get seen and finish the early access period, I think that's a potential... I think that's one of the biggest downsides of early access, basically, is player expectations and developer intentions need to align, and that's not often the case. Well, I mean... In a case like this, as John is describing Industries of Titan, like it's clearly missing to him mm-hmm. the thing that would make him excited to keep playing this game. Because like there have been early access games that I've played that are buggy or busted or uh, just not quite fully there, but I can see the core focus of interest. Right, I pl- I played Darkest Dungeon when it got released. Not a city builder, but uh, a tactics game. Uh, I played Darkest Dungeon like immediately when it hit Steam, and like it seriously needed more stuff. Only three dungeons was a problem, but I knew as I played that game, I wanted to play way more Darkest Dungeon, and boy have I! Uh, <laughs> and I think that's a right. reasonable expectation. Is that? This isn't, I want to see that you have like a functional demo that you might be able to sell to some CEO somewhere. I want to see the game that makes me excited to play this game again and again and again over the next eight years or whatever, because I understand like we play strategy games. We are used to these games changing dramatically because of expansions or mods or patches or because of early access these days. Uh, But I want to have that excitement to go and check on this shit eventually. And I think that's that is a reasonable expectation. I'm not saying that all Steam reviews that are negative or whatever would be uh, would be viable there, but yeah. that uh, just that, like, as a critic and as a fan, I guess uh, I I want to see something exciting. And uh, if your game doesn't have that because it's not ready, then I may not ever go back and like. We talked about doing Industries of Titan as a specific focus for this show. Uh, we picked three games to kind of say, okay, most of us have probably played these, which were going medieval in zone in Industries of Titan. And I, you know, procrastinated and left playing one of them to just not happen. And that was Industries of Titan because I had had like a kind of boring experience last year. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed it. Like I, I'm like I genuinely did think I am excited to go back to this yeah. when there's more to it. I don't think every early access game needs to have like 
infinite replayability that would be absurd well, uh like i, don't, I, I think, don't think that it's any infinite. an early access game could have like three hours of content that's still pretty reasonable because it's not a finished game yet that's the whole point like i think there doesn't need to be like a sort of number there yes um, yeah, i'm not i'm not saying there should be a number me, i'm the, saying the big hook yeah i'm not saying there should be a number i'm saying there should be yeah, something, that, something yeah. that should get you excited yeah, yeah. The, the core features have to be there right mm-hmm. and a Absolutely. core feature for industries of titan was this is a game that also has a an interesting worth engaging with combat system it's not the boring anno combat system right it's something something rich and fascinating i'd say that was a hook but i don't think that many people are that like super stoked about combat in in a city builder even if this does sound like it could be fun like for me certainly it was the 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 kind of the layers of like having that business management and then the larger city management all in one game sure that was the the appeal i think that's very much there i think a major part of the appeal of that game and one of the ways it was marketed was this dramatic klaxons blaring as the buildings literally sink into the ground to protect themselves from enemy attack. Yeah, stop, stop watching marketing, John. Mm-hmm. It's all shite. <laughs> right. Well, no, if that's something you're going to tell me is interesting about your game, I want that. Like, I want to see that if I'm going to pay money for your game. A, a key example of this for me recently was uh, a little game called Paleon, which was sort of a survival city builder where the conceit is great. The conceit is uh, your main character is a time traveler who has accidentally sent themselves and stranded themselves in the past and has to rebuild civilization, right? This is a this is a brilliant concept. It's out in early access. It contains absolutely none of that. It's just a little primitive city builder thing. Yeah. Uh, one One bigger thing that I was... Um, thinking about when I was uh, going through the sort of giant list of of games that we have um, is how many of them uh, that I've I've bounced off of because it feels like there isn't something pushing back at me. Like when I think about my time with with Industries of Titan um, or a few other things like uh, Nebuchadnezzar recently. Um, it's it it feels like if you're going to be in early access in steam and you're going to give people um that early view actually i guess nebuchadnezzar was was actually properly released but um but the idea is it seems to me you have to have some sort of emergent um thing from the simulation that is actually pushing back at you in some way and giving you some reason to kind of grapple with things getting a little chaotic and um it it seems like if if you're going to sort of pull the covers off of something like like they did with industries of titan you need enough of that there to engage uh, a sort of larger public audience to to make them feel like there is a game there um otherwise yeah you just end up with sort of this thing where it's just like jelly you push on it and you just sort of fall in and there's there's really nothing interesting going well, on. Thank in, you for saying game. that because I was going to try to do a segue uh in a slightly different uh slightly different wording but similar idea which is that um as I mentioned a lot of these games have big hooks uh or the best ones have big hooks. Um and 
because of the sort of nature of the systems combining in these games, I think the big hooks tend to be uh, also the core difficulty. And I, I've written down here, like, what is the locus of difficulty in a city builder? And like, there are all kinds of different city builders that have come out um, with all kinds of different focuses, themes, whatever. But the good ones all tend to have a thing that it comes down to all right, what what is pushing back, as you say, on this? And what are the mechanisms that I, as the player, can use to grapple with them and entertain myself by overcoming these obstacles? So, um, for example, one that we talked about a lot when City Skylines came out was, mm -hmm. like, they had made cities in motion before where you're like basically doing a traffic control business and you're not building the buildings like you were in city skylines. But when it gets down to it, city skylines is a traffic simulation in that you have to figure out traffic and any problem that you have and how you've arranged your city comes out in the form of traffic. Uh, when you have a game like RimWorld, the problems that you have tend to be you've created a complex system, some disaster hits or some invasion happens and forks up one of the systems. Now what do you do? There's that challenge. That's a really appealing challenge. It's like you have, you have like 10 people. Each of them has a specific job. Whoops, invaders just killed one of them. Now you don't have a farmer anymore. What are you going to do? Uh, this is... This is really fun to deal with. Um, economics, uh, building monuments, as uh, I think John was talking about with the, the cliff building game, having like a, a bigger one than just the idea of a monument. But a couple of the old Impressions games, uh, Zeus and Pharaoh, were built on the idea of like, you need to have a functioning city. But you also need to have that city build enough excess stuff and have enough excess workers that you can just go build random bullshit that does absolutely nothing on the side. Can you do that too? Sometimes that's really fun. Sometimes that's just like sitting and waiting forever as a pyramid gets built. Um, one of the problems with early access is that if those core systems aren't in place or if those core systems change, then that big hook, that that core locus of difficulty may not be obvious or it may not be a thing that is fun. Uh, and I feel like that's an issue that we, we have or that developers have, critics have, that fans might have, is that the proof of concept aspect uh, that can come out with a game like Clockwork Empires that was like, yeah, this seems like a vaguely functional city builder, but there's not actually anything interesting happening that I have to worry about. It's, I'm just wrestling with the interface. This is just a mess. I don't, I don't, I'm not getting anything out of this. What, what I would like to see with an early access game, regardless of everything else, is that there is a clear focus of difficulty that if I play for a few hours, I find. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you bring that up because that's probably why I stopped playing Cities Skylines as much as I once did is because I I, I kind of feel like that, that core locus of difficulty yeah. is missing a little bit. 
because the way it creates traffic problems, as I think we discussed maybe a million years ago on our city skylines show is three colored bars. And it's hard coded that you can never solve for all of them. Like the demand for something will always just go up arbitrarily and you'll have to build more buildings and more roads to get to those buildings and things like that. Um, yeah. There's no point of equilibrium in city skylines. It's not really right. like an idea in the designs that you're going to be like, and I'm done. Well, not even not even that you can't reach equilibrium because I don't necessarily think that's desirable. But the the fact that the reason you can never reach equilibrium is that one of the three colored bars is just always going to go up arbitrarily. Well, that's it's not generating that's true in real, real life. But it's eventually like... there's going to be nowhere left for people to live and the green bar is going to go up. I guess. I guess. But it, I get um, what you mean. It does feel like very, for lack of a better word, very gamey, very abstract. Yeah. I think some economics. games can overcome that, though. Like, I think Skylines is actually a, a good example of a game that can overcome. It depends on what you're you're interested in. But for me, part of the city building experience is just building a rad looking city. It's right. one of the reasons that I download so many mods for Skylines is because I want my city to look a certain way. And that becomes the challenge. It becomes a creative and artistic challenge rather than a logistical or management challenge. Um, it's like at the, in the beginning, and, and there were in mods, the beginning, there were right mods. from the start, but in the beginning, the vanilla game was all... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, said that it was at the good. start, the vanilla game gave me that fix for the logistics and the management as, you know, all of us got to grips with the new game and kind of learned the ins and outs. And then with every sort of big update and expansion, there are some new kind of road bumps to overcome and, and things to play with. But then in the end, after playing this game for so long, it has just become like making pretty cities and experimenting and things like that. And there are a few city builders that, that managed to pull that off. But I think Skylines is the best for, especially for, for urban city building, because it does just look very pretty on its own without any mods. So you're just adding to it with these like increasingly fabulous creations that the community have made really like going out of their way to, to sort of eight, like one up, colossal order really uh with how good they look and yeah i i've gotten a lot of joy out of just doing that and not even thinking about sort of traffic problems or oh i hope that zeppelin isn't overloaded or whatever (laughs) like hiccups i discover it is very good for that it is a very very good just kind of chill art 3d art program kind of yeah am i right it Uh, seems like that's the kind of thing where uh, you can you can sort of only access that if you're if you're the equivalent of AAA for city builders. But if you're if you're a smaller dev team, you d- you can't just rely on I'm going to make it beautiful. I mean, Cliff Empire is a good example of that. But but um, but if you design a good core game, I think you can rely on I'm going to make it moddable. And also, you you maybe don't have the the fanciest graphics, but you can still have a good artist on t- on the team making it look pretty. Right. And I, uh-huh. I'd also argue that City Skylines was not; it did not have a huge team, and it had like at the time Paradox was still, I say, like a medium sized publisher, um, and yet had more resources than a lot of the early access games that we're seeing now, which are designed sometimes just by one person. Um, but I think even at its like peak, Skylines would not have been, or Colossal Order would not have been considered like a big 
developer um an experienced developer though which definitely helped uh, but if you look at skylines compared to um cities in motion it's a lot prettier cities in motion looked fine it was kind of going for a realistic vibe but like i don't really remember much about it it doesn't have an impact but but skylines has like an actual quite a strong aesthetic even though it is also going for a fairly realistic way of kind of modeling cities well, or at let's least aesthetically. talk about aesthetics a bit because i think part of the appeal of the city builder is not merely like are we making these systems work but are we making these systems fit into place in a way that i like and i like is you know a subjective thing that goes in a whole bunch of different directions like you all mentioned not really liking rimworld's art style i think i think it's kind of adorable and just needs like a few mods to for variety and i am completely down with it but i was being needlessly mean about rimworld when i said that i don't have a huge issue with the art style at least it has like a look that's memorable even if it kind of just looks yeah. like prison well, they, architect. they shared they uh, shared some of the like same I, artistic I, stuff I, like this was kind of a famous deal about how mm-hmm. you know back in the days when the the most uh the most dubious thing a game could possibly do was have art that another game had used and <laughs> uh the prison architect people were like yeah we shared stuff with this other tile-based 2d game because that made sense uh, but yeah i think to like i think it was in, rather than saying it looks like shit which is i think what i what i said um the buildings it allows you to make look like shit uh so like you're never making anything that looks very nice even once you've got the fanciest tech and you're playing like an aristocrat and stuff it all kind of looks like garbage and yeah that that's by design but uh, for, it's a great example in in uh, going medieval is when i wanted to design a building for my altars uh so i could have somewhere for my little villagers to go and pray and I I designed a church and it looks like a church. It's got a steeple. It's got all it's the shape is unmistakably church. You could never oh, really make something like oh, that. Oh, contraire, in my Rimworld friend. You should because... see some of the great tombs that I built for my poor departed people. Uh, but you're only ever seeing the outline is what I mean. Right, you're not yes, seeing the but steeple. Like... I, I uh, got that internal to, that's idea what I mean. of here is a place that is designed for beauty and within the system that it gave me, I felt like it was it was pretty beautiful. But yes, I do see your point that if you want that 3D uh, aspect of it, uh, Going Medieval does have that pretty strong appeal. It's also, no, I, yeah, I think that the dead levels make a huge difference just to the design in general because it changes the way you build. But also... It makes me build more irregular things just because they're nicer to look at. In RimWorld, I might as well. I mean, if I want a storage room in RimWorld, it's just going to be this massive oblong that gets bigger and bigger. Maybe with I'll put some walls here and there to make break it up. In um, Going Medieval, I think, oh, I've got a cellar and I can put a roof on it and I have a little an alcove here where someone can sleep. And above that, I'll have another floor and I'll, I'll make it a kind of L shape here. And I'm doing that purely so that when I rotate the camera, it looks cool. Yeah, I... And I think that's part of the building game to me is... Not all of them, but like that's definitely one that a lot of games can kind of lean on heavily is it's look at this beautiful thing you made. Um, I... Yeah. Uh, 
the broadening of what an aesthetic is that is acceptable for a city building game has been the most the most fruitful thing to come out of early access city builders in general and the proliferation of this more niche genre into a broad area because 10 years ago a city builder looked like SimCity 4 or it failed that was like that was the range of possible options yeah it now, seems like we're you've got games from uh games from RimWorld games that are like city skylines games that are uh, like adorable little city builders like um there's one coming out soon that's called like catizens and it's just like some cats and they have to like build trees to sleep in it's adorable right (laughs) and you've got games that are like uh like city skylines you've got games that are like toying with the very concept of letting people aesthetically manage their cities you've got survival games like uh like they finally said it right which in and of itself (laughs) is (laughs) Yeah, someone finally said it in and of itself, though, like Frostpunk is such a radical departure from a city builder. But no one on this podcast will be like Frostpunk's not a city builder. There's no I haven't actually played it. I wanted to play it today, but I'm going to be cracking on with it this week. There's one called Nimby Rails, which I think adds to your point. That is as much yes. a puzzle game as anything. But the look of that, it's pretty much just like a London underground map. You're just expanding uh, railways through real world maps. And it's it's entirely as a, as a map. It's not like a. A pretty map it's like a diagram almost and that yeah that wouldn't that probably wouldn't have been possible in the same way 10 years ago i hadn't hadn't really thought about that until you said it just then the the extreme one would be timescaper which isn't really a city builder but it is because you are exactly building a city you're doing nothing else um you're just you're it's almost like you're just painting a city really right uh but it's there's there's no purpose to it and i just I was briefly obsessed with it, just seeing what I could create. You're not making something that's really logical. Uh, you're not making something that you'd necessarily imagine people living in, but just using these tools to create works of art in the shapes of cities and towers and things like that. And it was like, it was just this surreal uh, experience, just especially because you're doing this in this infinite ocean. There's nothing else around you. Seagulls, sky, ocean, and then you're painting this city out of nowhere. It's yeah, it's really beautiful. I find well, it that, very that's relaxing. another thing that we haven't talked about because I think perhaps most of us are the equivalent of city builder grognards, where we want we want to be pushed back upon. We want to have uh, some really cool complex systems that we're dealing with. But also, there's been this rise of kind of a casual city builder. Uh, I think Kingdoms and Castles sort of fits that, although I found some of their invasion stuff a little Mm -hmm. excessively difficult. But just like, I just want to chill out, slap some things down, make some people run around and be really cute. Uh, There's increasing Dorf Romantic. I had had a week or two of playing pretty heavily, which is just kind of a puzzle game with a city building kind of veneer. But... That veneer was very cute, very relaxing. I enjoyed that a ton. Um, One thing I appreciated very much about going medieval, and this may change either with higher difficulty levels or further development, it did not feel, I didn't feel anxiety. I didn't feel the dread of something terrible is going to happen before long. It felt like 
this is a nice little settlement. I'm going to farm. I'm going to build a garden. I'm going to hunt some deer. I'm going to weave and write scrolls to research. I'm, I didn't feel like everyone's going to die at any minute and I need to be ready for that. It felt like certainly there's room to, to tweak the difficulty so that it is similar to that. Like, it, you can just... It is very forgiving, yeah. isn't it? Like, have you lost anyone? But, like, certainly in the early stage, the, the bandits will just, like, if you lose a fight, they'll just knock you out I and fuck off. Know. I've not even... <laughs> Which is no, lovely. I had no... Yeah, I had some bandits show up, and I was worried, because I thought, oh, it's going to do the rim world thing where two people will die, and I'll just hate it. But no, no, I just... I handily saw them off, and I've had no... To be honest, there's been no real challenge to it. Um... And I was worried about food, but I produced like five times as much food as I needed. And my trouble now is actually preserving it before it goes off. But I'm I'm actually glad to have that in, in one of these games rather than everything being a, a grind to survive. And I love a good grind, but yeah, I, an even more casual game, like building game, I'm not surprised they're becoming a thing. Um, there's, there's certainly room for them. It's a couple years old now, but I really loved Islanders, and I never really thought I would because I I do think of myself as somebody who's more uh, sucked into crunchy systems and things like that. And I thought, you know, oh, there's no way. But there's there was something about this this very stripped down, um, just beautiful um, uh, city builder but but a city builder where um where the choices you had were limited to you know five or six different buildings that you could maybe plop down and um see some interactions between them and it, it just felt like it it stripped everything down so well to to just being able to enjoy the the, the process of of building those things and, and assembling a sort of you know yeah, tetris yeah. of if, some, if somebody makes Animal Crossing that you can build, then they're going to make a million. <laughs> well, I think you said, you know, the, the idea that like you're you're in this world where it doesn't feel like something terrible is going to happen and it doesn't feel like everyone could just die at any moment. That's a pretty potent fantasy in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <God. laughs> so that's Oof. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was wondering a bit about uh, about that in terms of the uh you know what there's some you know genre ideas about how um like as a as a society we keep returning to ideas because there's something in them in the same way that like psychologically we get sort of hung up on particular ideas and it, it sort of makes me wonder what is it about city building, especially these days, that that continually gets developers and and players to continually return to this idea of putting something together. And it, is it just that? Is it just it would be nice to be somewhere where things are growing and and things are managed nicely? I think everyone, I think partly, I think it's pretty much universal that humans just like to build stuff. That's something we've always done. Mm-hmm. But I do think. Now, in particular, people want to have a little place of their own, even if it's not real, and to have, not even in a controlling sense, but to just feel like, here's a little thing that I can escape to for a bit. I I sort of, I don't want to go, like, in a super abstract or psychological way. I just think that, like, these are our lives. Like, we we interact with cities or villages or towns for the most part 
uh, and the systems that go into creating those as like that is just our default mode of existence. And so that makes sense that we would want to play a game, whether it be a cute game or a hard game or whatever. And some of those games are built around the relationships between people. Some of those games are built around the relationships between cars. Uh, some of those games are built around the relationships between buildings. <laughs> but like all these things are just the things that we're around constantly. And therefore, uh, we might want to turn them into a game. I'm yeah. just in it to conquer and dominate nature. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I it's think been, it's of... been so smug for so long. Yeah. Well, it's it's bringing Finally. order to chaos. And I think, you know, there's if you have a lot of chaos you're dealing with in your real life, it's nice to be able there's to also... corral it in a certain way. And it's a very strong visual sense of progression. Like city builders are a walking, you know, uh, not really walking, but they're like, they're like the arch, arch, there very few other types of games will give you such a good continuously strong visual sense of progression than a city builder will you see that nice one where you're building it on the back of a dragon or something a big old <laughs> uh, monster yeah, yeah. That, that looks that, nice yeah, yeah, yeah. Flying yeah. As well. um, Sky just want to be friends with a yeah. 50 yeah, Airborne story. Kingdom is fantastic. Yeah. Not uh, early access. Released as a finished fucking best. I, just a finished game. <laughs> yeah, it had... We, I mean, we did a show in it, actually, didn't we? Um, I was there. It was my show. I was there. Uh, I was not there, there because I found that game time. boring as hell. Yeah. So, you know... I, yeah, you know, Rowan's wrong. throw uh, names out there now as well. Kenshi. Kenshi was the early access game for like 12 yeah. years, and it's... It can be. I played it for about 120 hours just building a base. And then I played it again a year and a bit later, another 100 hours just walking around in the swamp. It's everything in a game. And part of it is building. And it's, but yeah, tangent. But that was, that was an early access for, I think, nearly 10 years. Or yeah. More than 10 years. I bought it in that, that was one of the like early access launch games. Uh, when, when, the, when that tag was added to Steam, that was like one of the first 10 games that had it. It's, Wasn't that like Steam? It could have been Greenlight, also, yeah. Oh, wow. There's a Steam name I haven't heard in a it's long like... time, but never want to hear again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sorry, at the risk of collapsing into dust. Yeah, I have said uh... the words Steam Greenlight. Um, so let's uh, let's finish up here, and uh, I think an interesting thing, given that there is this kind of burst of creativity and a, I don't know impulse towards safety that some of these games have that perhaps early access guides them to uh let's talk about what we would like to see in an early access or in a city builder whether it be early access or not just like i don't know what what's what's an idea that you think like whether it be a game that's promising it or something that's just stuck in your brain that you think would make a city builder really fucking awesome uh let's start with mike Well, um, one thing I've been thinking a lot about uh, recently in connection with a few other games um, that kind of touches some of the things that that uh, show up in City Builders is um, is is just like the individual characters that are walking around. Like we have more and more computing power to play with, right? So it's becoming more and more possible to 
um, actually have the individual agents in your city actually um, properly simulated. And there's um, there's a sort of strange um, game that's that's partly city builder and partly tower defense called uh, Rise to Ruins, um, which um, comes to mind sometimes because of the fact that um, it does a fairly good job of they're very, very simple little characters and it's all very, you know, small pixel art. But um, but it feels like you've got a little village and, you know, you've got people who have children and move in together and people who are assigned to be the the soldiers that that patrol your village versus the water carriers. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it, it may not add that much uh, sort of at the surface to the simulation, but I think being able to give individual characters something that, that feels like motivation and have some sort of ongoing history. I think, I think yeah, I I've really only played a little bit of, of that game, but it's very cute. Um, I don't remember too much of the character interactions, but I do remember the them putting on their little soldier gear and whatever. Um, and I think that RimWorld does a really interesting job with this, and that's why it still stands out, perhaps even beyond going medieval, just because the characters have relationships that you can check on, kind of Sims-like, that build over time and affect the game. And like sometimes you'll have two people that just don't fucking get along and you have to choose which one of them to harvest their organs and which one of them to uh, let continue being a normal member of society. Uh, how about you, Liana? I would like to see more city builders where uh, your city does not exist in a pocket dimension. And I think we might have even discussed this at some point on a previous episode, but more city builders that that exist within like a larger implied context where you might have to interact with other cities or other polities that are off map, or maybe with like a king who is somewhere distant and is making demands of you. It's not a completely new idea. Like even Dwarf Fortress does this to some extent with, you know, the elf caravans will will show up at your fortress to, to trade or sometimes do battle with you. Uh, but yeah, I want more... I want more city builders where there are challenges coming from off map that require you to uh, to make some. Well, do I decisions. have a game for you? It's called Sim City. It <laughs> came out in like 2012 or 2013, and uh, it's all about before, like ouch. before you were born. And it's all about the different challenges of trying to build a city next to all your Facebook friends. Um, and there, there's there's traffic yeah, that uh, goes uh, between <laughs> them that's definitely real. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Is it time uh, to rehabilitate <laughs> SimCity 2013? I mean, no, it is absolutely it, it, not. <laughs> if that game had been functional in literally any systemic way, like those are interesting ideas. But no, if, if, you have a point. Well, if they gone, yeah, uh-huh. if they gone full parody with it, and you've been like, no, you're literally next to their Facebook <laughs> town, and they're just pumping constant yeah. racist memes <laughs> over the border, and you've got to do something to contain it. <laughs> it's it's remind so the the best version of this might have actually been the Warcraft three custom map called Kingdom RP, which was literally you would build your castle and then you could like declare war on other people, but you would actually be like competing for like resource nodes on the map, but not like in a constant state of war. That was that was some good stuff. That kind of Clash of Clans era of primarily mobile games that do similar sort of stuff. All right, yeah. Sin, how about yeah. you? 
I'd like to do two things that kind of tie into what's happening there. And um, one is, I want to, a kind of game where your settlement does have to focus more on trading, like the way like with other cities, the way you do in Dwarf Fortress, so that you can become a farming colony, you know, and just concentrate entirely on that. But most of all, I want more. I want games. I don't really have a term for it, and I'm going to use the word idle, but. I don't mean an idle game like a clicker game that literally plays itself and you do nothing, but a game that has something a bit like Distant Worlds Universe where you've got a very complex system and you can take full control of it, but you're better off delegating some of it to the AI and or even taking a back seat and letting your city grow naturally and build itself or even that village. Just let it let the elements of it expand and grow as they like and you just provide direction rather than it's like um t totalitarian instructions controlling every last aspect of it something that you can kind of what's the word i can't think of the word but kind of garden it almost rather than control it that that's an interesting word i like that uh i remember when uh, nebuchadnezzar came out i think at the start of this year um our our sort of initial reaction when people started playing through the tutorial was like, oh, this is an impressions game. And then Rob got further a little faster than everyone. It was like, oh, this is an impressions game where you get to choose your walker's routes. And like Rob was like, I am all in on this idea. And then he wasn't. I don't think he, he'd never pushed for a show on it. But like he liked he liked the idea of being <laughs> able to like go in and adjust all those routes. Whereas I was like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, no, the whole the whole point of the impression style game is wrestling with where those walkers are going to go and then building around that. I am, I'm gone. I'm not even going to bother finishing the tutorial. Uh, in distant world, you can literally have, like you can control your civilization for a little while and then you can just literally hand it all over to the AI and just sit back and watch and see what it does. And then you can go in and intervene again. And that's not a build a game where it has, so quite a lot of infrastructure infrastructure elements but i would like i mean that's very much a 4x so it, it it doesn't quite do what i want which is a city building like that where you're not competing to win and be the biggest empire you're just building a thing or growing a thing yeah, and that goes back to my consistent refrain that i wish civilization six was a city builder because they were so close yes. to doing it um and mm -hmm. i guess this this kind of leads into my what I would like to see, which is a city builder that's not a city builder, but kind of a burgeoning, I don't know, like kingdom creator, but basically like a city builder where you have five cities instead of one city. And you're also dealing with like all the places in between. So it's not quite like a 4X game where you're trying to build a massive empire, but maybe you're trying to build a city-state or you're trying to build up a little alliance, but something that just feels a little more historically like, all right, we have we have these various little places and we're trying to get their connections and make the economics work right and deal with the neighbors. So like, a, a, you know, a very small nation builder type of thing would that that yeah. would appeal to me a lot. Like yeah. when Mike was talking about Islanders, that's a game that I like that aesthetic, uh, and that that conceit to it. But it's it's just so simple and abstracted. And I would like something with you know deeper systems. But yeah, that's uh, that's the direction that I think would be super neat to go in. 
I'm just imagining the thrill I, of like when you finally get two towns to to set up trade properly, and then watching them both flourish. Yeah, that would be really satisfying. Uh, yeah, I I want to say Rowan, it that plays perfectly into what I would want from city builders, which is we talked about this really recently on the Rome Total War Remastered show where we were like look the extreme unit sizes look how massive you can make these units and how huge these battles are compared to modern total wars i want to see someone take take a city building concept and aesthetic and idea and it doesn't need to have perfectly simulated eight individual agents or what have you i want to see that as a i want to see scale i want to see uh, a city building game where you tackle the kind of problems where, that that like the modern United States has, where you have these urban corridors that are developing along these vast distances and they're creating absolute ecological devastation and also traffic hell and also a housing crisis at the same time where you have a continuous urban strip from Richmond, Virginia, all the way to Boston. Right. <laughs> I want to see I want to see a city building game that makes you build that and try and figure out how to build that in a sustainable way with functional transit. Like, I think that would be fascinating. And I also want to see that city builder deal with the, the repercussions of inflicting that kind of massive sprawl or, or density as the opposite on the earth, right? Like I want to see a city builder that can do something like Hong Kong. And at the same time, I want to see that, that same city builder be able to model the Northeastern United States, where you have a super dense New York City, but then you also have the sort of infinite sprawl of all the way down to like Atlanta, where it's just a, a pancake of a city. Yeah, I think. And I think that that figuring out how to model that is such a rich concept. And it has so many fascinating outcomes where you want to build up. I don't know, Baltimore is very important because it's a, a functional deep water port, right? But at the same time, like not everyone's going to live in that swamp. So let's build up the infrastructure uh, in in uh, uh, in other parts of Maryland or what have you so that there's actually somewhere more livable for people to, to be in. Yeah, I think ecology is a really, really fruitful direction specifically for getting that pushback that... Uh, we've talked about a little bit but um yeah like some games have this kind of like you know if you go and kill all the deer then you don't have any deer or they at least have that in, in concept but then like deer will just migrate in the next year or whatever but i feel like getting getting the balance right on a natural reaction to your actions um because that is kind of how cities are built. That is, you know, how humans have uh, become civilized in air quotes there. Uh, but, you know, they try to do something and then they discover what the earth or what nature says is might make that a bad idea. These are kind of like arbitrary disasters in a SimCity sense, uh, but they could be they could be something that could be modeled and, you know, having this, this wider scope might be a direction that, that could work for uh, forcing that, I think. I, I actually think that ecology simulation and generation is the next big frontier yeah. of games design, world design in general. And yeah, City Builder interacting with that is a really interesting concept.
Yeah, I, I was uh, pushing for that with Civilization, and we got it, but also we sort of didn't get it at all in a way that was a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's much more interesting to deal with pollution as a uh, and e- ecology as a functional thing that in fact affects the game rather than a bar that needs to be kept down or filled. And that's what a lot of or like, you know, a, a purple goop that spreads around on the ground, which is what a lot of games abstract that to right now. When the reality of ecology is it's much more complex and you end up with problems like, um, well, I mean, the eastern United States is a great example where there's so much trash coming down the river and coming out of the harbor in Baltimore where they've got, you know, Mr. Trash Wheel sitting there eating it up just so that even if everything upstream is kind of fucked, at least the the estuary and the river system downstream and out into the sea isn't fucked. Side note, again, that we... Uh praised but largely measured a few months ago but per aspera the sort of city colony builder on mars slash terraforming thing it's it's trying to engage with these ideas it's not doing them in a tremendously fantastic fashion yet uh but like there's there is that element of ecology there is that element of terraforming and uh building up a system that goes beyond simply here is the city and trying to connect uh, all the aspects of your colony on Mars, I think, was really, really interesting and had a nice little plot wrapper uh, on it that uh, kept us quite motivated. Um, Fraser, I believe you are the last one. Oh, yeah. Save the best for last. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I would like to see someone tackle the specific challenges of the town in which I live. Uh, like a century of economic decline, the closing of the mills, dog shit <laughs> everywhere. Um, and the challenge will be, how do we attract McDonald's back to the high street? Because that's when you know a town is fucked. When McDonald's is like, no, even we can't do business here, then you're screwed. I mean, luckily there's a second McDonald's, but it's like less accessible. It's not in the center of town. It's on like... You know, it's on a big road. It's one of the drive-through McDonald's. They don't count. You can have a nice family meal in a drive-through McDonald's. So yeah, that's what I'd like to see. Fix Paisley. Um, but failing <laughs> that, um, something that's maybe like the next step in SimCity, City Skylines, the the sort of the big, broad, urban city builder. Um, because I feel like at this point, Skylines has done absolutely everything I wanted from uh a city builder like that especially with the modding because anything colossal order haven't done the modders have been able to to like bring into the game to a certain extent they've there's not the sort of like wild overhauls that we see with like ck3 or something like that but there has there's been a lot there's like so many pages of mods you could spend a whole lifetime going through them even if a lot of them are just cosmetic but it has expanded the game a lot uh, and now I want to see what's next. I want to see, you know, SimCity 6 or City Skylines 2 or something brand new that fits into that slot. The next big, if you like urban city builders, this is the one that you have to at least check out. And I just have no idea where it could go. In in the uh, the article I wrote on the subject, I kind of hit upon something that, that John also mentioned just a few minutes ago. Uh, about like 
not just modeling the same kind of cities. Mm -hmm. Like Skylines basically has uh, European and American cities and very broad ones because obviously there are a lot of different types of cities in both Europe and America. You can build Uh, New York City or Stockholm. Those are your two choices. It's basically (laughs) it, right? Um, So yeah, yeah, I would love to see a city. I think John mentioned like Hong Kong. What a fascinating stylish city because that's just like somewhere you look at and you're like, who would build a city here? This is madness. It's a terrible place for a city, but of course it's a fantastic place for a city too because the challenges are so interesting. So yeah, I I think there is still a lot of potential. It's just that we need to really figure out what the potential is because Colossal Order really have given us the the sort of modern SimCity that that we wanted and then some. I I think a lot of people are like, this is my favourite... city builder since sim city 4 but i think it's like it succeeded all of the sim cities uh it is the best urban city builder but for a long time we didn't think there was one that could top sim city 4 there's going to be something that tops city skylines i'm just really excited to to see what that is going back to your first point i do feel like there's an issue with strategy game design where designers are wary of doing collapse um, I think I think Lynn has talked about this in terms of Imperator and how she's talked with Paradox people who just like they don't want to do the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire is big and then it gets small and that's they they think that that makes for bad games but like conceptually it makes for a good game it's just really difficult to maintain motivation when you know you're going to start losing these chunks and so like dealing with well, Frostpunk is entirely but about you, this. But you are like, getting bigger. You are getting resources. bigger. Yeah. Well, that's, true. That's a, but that is a, an interesting example. A game where you get bigger yeah. while also losing control uh, is is fresh. Um, but like, if we want to talk about like what an actual contemporary life city management game would be like it's about managing collapse we are not building infrastructure we are not maintaining infrastructure we are just trying to get by with whatever sewers are exploding wherever we can and we're losing mcdonald's (laughs) people this is a crisis Um, oh yeah you don't like it was honestly life-changing when uh just eat started doing mcdonald's delivery i'm like finally taste is back (laughs) Give me that give me that game where one of these three bridges is gonna collapse and I gotta figure out how to allocate my budget to maybe so like, keep yeah, it, it's, it's not about you, you building play a city, but it's about taking a city that's yes. already fucked. Yeah, Detroit and trying, Simulator. And maybe not even saving it, just making it livable for some people uh is the challenge. Yeah. You'll want I'm, like you do, you want Detroit 2005 simulator where like, yeah, uh-huh. it's only, not only is it only going to get worse, it's going to get really, really bad before it gets better. Yeah. the, the You can buy this palatial mansion for $5, yeah, the, the, but before you see it, Cleveland, it will collapse. That satirical Cleveland tourism video, buy a house for the price of a VCR. <laughs> that's what I want. I'd like yeah. to see a middle class Paisley game where... Paisley's doing fine, but you've got to do your utmost to keep keep McDonald's out. <laughs> that might be what's even happening because there is a sort of middle class part of Paisley. Like I used to know a girl from school who lived there. I'm like, I can't believe parts of Paisley look like this. I currently do not live in that part. <laughs> 
I live in the part that's right next to a fucking But this tannery. is also a thing that we've talked about, I think, way back on the original City Skylines show, is that um, just the way that you can, like, bulldoze and rebuild things in City Builders, like, that bugs me. Like, you should have to go through a zoning meeting. You should have to get your permits in shape before <laughs> yeah. you can just take a school out of the middle of a thriving fucking neighborhood. Like this is yeah. Sounds to me like uh, like you should be pretty interested in a little game I like to call workers and resources. <laughs> uh, I, I'm waiting for it to get out of early access uh, so that they have like all the helicopter simulation down exactly oh. right. Hoisted, hoisted upon my own petard. You just made me think of an old game called Machiavelli the Prince, which yeah. is a four X trading game. One of the things you could do was get appointed to various positions in Venice, and one of them was responsible for building roads. And you had a budget, and you were supposed to use it to build roads to benefit Venice. But you can, you can embezzle, or you can like build the roads, yeah. But you'll build ones that are good for you, and not for anyone else. But if you could do that, but in like a city building context, where You've kind of got to get reelected by doing good jobs, but also a bit of a tropico thing going on where, well, maybe you'll skim a bit off the top or maybe you'll steer the city towards oh. uh, towards trains because you like trains and you don't like cars and you'll do it. Shitty American city councilor <laughs> yeah. uh, simulator would be so great, right? So it's like you're a, you're the city, shitty city councilor and you have to zone things and figure out where new stuff's going to be built and appease the parks people. But realistically, what you have to do is keep all your corporate donors happy so you can get reelected. And that's it. That's what your real job is, <laughs> is in the end, is appeasing yeah. multimillionaire developers who live in Los Angeles, even though you're from fucking Idaho. <laughs> See, that's why, like, I've sort of bounced off Tropico now. I think Tropico, like, I think the news Tropico was was still fun, but I don't want the satire because it's real. <laughs> because all this yeah. corruption and bullshit yeah. is real. I, I just that's why. Uh, uh, that's uh, what's it called? Uh, Suzerain was oh, so great because it, it is. Yes, yeah. that's a good example. Yeah. It's not about what you want to do. It's about what you can get away with without ruining your. I, I will also say that the new Tropico, like they, they totally messed up how transportation worked in that game. And transportation was that game's locus of difficulty. And so it was just yeah. a much worse game. Like but I would, I, will... I went back to go play Tropico four after play Tropico five or whatever, six, well, you know, the numbers are getting higher. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, this game did work. And now it doesn't anymore. I don't know why they did that. One thing I want to champion Tropico 5 for, um, whatever criticisms you have of it, it has a co-op mode where you control, you're both building part of the same town. And I love that. I've only ever seen it in one game, and that was the original Settlers on the Amiga. And I, it sounds ridiculous, but two of you controlling the same town is wonderful. It's so, so fun. Yeah, I spent like I mean, 50 that... hours playing that with a friend as a kid. It was great. We accidentally built three massive, massive castles right next to each other without realizing it. And we spent like 40 <laughs> hours saying, we're not going to demolish anything. We're going to get these castles built no matter what. I mean, it ground the entire town to a halt for the but we were not going to let it go. And it was all because we were too stubborn to admit we'd made a mistake. It was brilliant. But that's that's a thing that we're sort of getting at here is that you have created a social history with entrenched interests by playing a co-op <laughs> mode. And that's the kind of thing that makes actual, real, historical and contemporary cities really fascinating. Um, I want to see co-op modes where you're both building the same town in, in, in city builders. That would be wonderful. 
yeah. chaos. Just the chaos of it. You know, just screw up a town together. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, any other final thoughts on City Builders and Early Access? Oh, I hope not, because yeah. I haven't got to go on my bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to mention a couple of games that... God uh, damn you. God damn yeah, you. Yeah, very yeah, quickly, though. It. Yes. Um, uh, one's very small and weird um, called New City, and um, it's it's just in early access, so who knows? But it is the regional city builder, apparently. That's in quotes. Um, and it seems like they're taking a stab at making these gigantic uh, cities. So I think it's interesting that that exists. And the other one that I wanted to mention is called Imagine Earth. And it's um, just out of early access after being in it for seven years. Um, and they are apparently attempting to address... Um, ecological um catastrophes and and that kind of feedback loop there so i don't know what they're like i'm not endorsing any of them but they exist and they are addressing some of the things we're talking about so i think that's interesting mike in a final 30 seconds can you talk about this chang on of tang dynasty game that you put oh, on the sure list? yeah um it's uh it's microscopic you know like i i'm probably one of 30 people who have played it um but uh, the um there is a game uh, called Chang on um of Tang Dynasty and um it's it's a uh 3D city builder where um the the single developer has done a lot of historical research and um it's a it's a Chinese game so the translation's a little iffy um but based on the historical structure and, and urban design of, uh, of Chang'an, which is one of the historical capitals of China, um, it was divided up into um, a fairly comprehensive structure of, of sort of uh, that reflected the philosophy of urban design at the time. So you're kind of you're building within the structures that exist there. And it's like you've got this this sort of ward system where you're uh, placing uh, different buildings within there. It's. It's simplistic in a way, but it's also um, I just really respect how much work went into it. So, um, so I just yeah, thought that the was idea really cool. of having to place things within the idea of a very specific historical city and very specific historical philosophy seems like a really interesting direction to go. It's one of the most interesting cities in history, too. Like, I love that that specific era of Chang'an is is really interesting to read about. So. All right. Well, I believe that should do it for uh, City Builders and Early Access. For all 800 people that we've had on this show, and for me, Rowan Kaiser, uh, I would like to say have a good evening. Um, this episode will probably be produced by Lynn. Lynn, are you producing? As far as I know, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. And, I don't want to uh, make anyone else deal with all those tracks. You can also follow 3MA at 3MA on Twitter. And uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash, is it 3MA or 3 Moves Ahead? I think it's just 3MA, 3MA yeah. All right, patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can join our Discord. Uh, super secret Discord, sorry about that. And uh, also play games with us sometimes if you, if you give us enough money and... <laughs> Uh, that will keep Lynn housed and happy and keep me buying new clothes. <laughs> so definitely continue doing that. I'm not sure about Fraser. I think getting McDonald's delivered. 
Yeah, deliver um, McDonald's, bring back McDonald's, and that'll make me happy. Yeah. And, that should be a uh, Patreon next, tier, right? Yeah. Let's, yes. let's do that. McDonald's, we'll open a McDonald's franchise in Paisley. That's Scottish cuisine at its That's very how you best. Fix Paisley. You get a Patreon for the town. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I believe our next episode will be on. Total War Three Kingdoms, which we've never talked about. Yeah. So, again, Rowan Kaiser for everybody. Have a good night.